Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur, and this is season five, episode 18. We're coming to the end of the season. Just a few left. It's been so fun to be with you. Thanks for rating, subscribing, sharing, posting, liking, connecting with us about a podcast episode that's impacted you. It's uh, really um, makes the work more meaningful, but also helps other people find it. So thank you so much. Would love for you to find though that Digital Church Facebook group. If you've been listening to episodes, you've heard me talk about it. Would love for you to join us. There's hundreds of us now. I think it's about, oh, I don't know. There's hundreds of us in there, (laughs) whatever. Come join us because the conversations are rich. We're giving you fresh content, new teaching and ideas around discipleship and evangelism and creative ways to reach reach people in this digital age that we're experiencing. So you can problem solve together. We can ask questions and really keep the conversations going that we start to have on the podcast. So I want you to check that out. And hey, more free content for you is in our video tutorial series around church communications and strategy. So if you go check out our wordmadedigital.com tutorials section, there's tons of free videos there for you. Would love for you to check them out. All right, today's episode is with Hannah Breckner. She's a writer, TED speaker, and online educator who loves developing leaders. But she also has started this movement. It's a social movement called More Love Letters. And they've. Uh, this is a movement spread to 70 countries all over the U.S., tons of college, hundreds of college, college campuses and she was even named one of the white house's women working to do good the white house's women working to do good so that's kind of cool she's been in cnn world news wall street journal oprah.com glamour and tons of others she lives in atlanta and we're going to be talking to her about writing and creativity and how to get your work and yourself out there. So thanks so much. Speaking of getting out there, we wouldn't be able to get this out there without sponsors. So Wycliffe College, thank you for your sponsorship and your partnership from so early on on this podcast. You've believed in what we're doing here and you love the conversation we're having around all things digital through creativity and communication. So uh, we'd love you to check them out. Go to wycliffecollege.ca slash digital. Check out more about the school. Maybe you're thinking about taking a course maybe you want to do a whole program masters certificates doctoral programs they got tons of offering for you whether you want to take it local in toronto and hang out uh, on the harry potter vibe campus it's a really cool old campus or uh, you want to just do online studies there's lots of options for you but we encourage you to check it out also want to celebrate and talk to you about Compassion Canada because they've been, again, just an amazing partner for us here. And I know we've all been kind of waiting for the pandemic to end and maybe we're just trying to figure out how we can do something meaningful right now. You don't actually have to wait. You don't have to think too much about it. You can join others who are doing this as a movement of practical, ongoing compassion, transforming the lives of children around the world. So Compassion Canada has, or Compassion in your own country, if you're not listening in Canada, has tons of ways that you can use your unique skills and your passion for doing good to make a difference. So there's this guy Harvey in Alberta, Canada, and he couldn't visit his barber during the pandemic. So he turned his mullet into into money and he created it as an online fundraiser for and with compassion. When he finally cut his hair, he had surpassed $7,000 as a goal and raised funds to provide emergency food and supplies for families impacted by the pandemic. So that's the kind of fun and creativity you can have. If you're looking for more ideas, you want to spread a little good, just like Harvey did, don't look any further. Join others in doing some good today. You can visit compassion.ca slash good uh, to find some practical life-giving ideas. Compassion.ca slash good. All right, how do we write with impact? How do we have our work reach people and touch people? That's what we're going to talk about today with Hannah Bruckner. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 5, sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Hannah Brencher, welcome to Word Made Digital. So pumped to have you on the podcast today. 
Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to dig in and chat. So let's start with get, introduce yourself to us. Uh, not everybody will know who you are, but there's some really cool parts to your story I can't wait to get into today. So kind of give us a little bit of an introduction to you. Yeah, so my name is Hannah Brencher, and I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a writer and a speaker and an online educator. Um, I have a passion for building leaders. I teach classes online about the discipline of writing and also building discipline and consistency in your life in general. Um, And I have a new book coming out, Fighting Forward, and it's my third book. And um, I also run an organization known as More Love Letters, and we use the power behind social media to write and mail letters to strangers in need all over the world. So I, yeah, I've just been here in Atlanta with my husband, Lane, and our new baby girl. Uh, She's eight months old, uh, Ah. so just had a baby in a pandemic, you know, (laughs) doing the thing. (laughs) Now- Okay, baby in a pandemic. Um, have I don't know what the restrictions are where in your area, but have have your have your parents been able to be there or or family been able to meet the baby? I know some people they like their babies have been born, but grandma or grandpa haven't even been able to touch the kid yet. I don't know how that's yeah, been going. Yeah, we. My mom was quarantined with us um, up okay. until like the day that I had the baby. So my mom lives in Connecticut. Um, and so she was there waiting for us when we came home from the hospital, but we couldn't have any vis- visitors in the hospital or anything like that. But yes, all the grandparents have met the little baby. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Well, okay. We, I want to start your story, rewind back to when you went to New York City for what yeah. you would have called at the moment a dream job. You're like a young professional, 22 years old. You think this is it. New York, amazing city, amazing job. Tell us a little bit about what happened there. Um, what happened to you? And then what ended up being created out of that? So I moved to New York City for a job that was at the United Nations, which was a dream job for me. I'm very passionate about wow, human rights. Yeah. I thought that was going to be the five-year plan, the 10-year plan. Also, at this time in my life, I would not call myself a believer. I didn't, that was not, that was something I was seeking, but it was not anything that I, I look to today, you know? Um, and so I was dealing with a lot of sadness and loneliness. Mm -hmm. And as a way to cope with that, I started to write letters that I would leave around New York city for other people to find. Uh, for me, it was never about anybody, getting back to me. I didn't even necessarily want anybody to get back to me. I just wanted to be able to take these feelings and kind of unload them, get them off of myself. And um, I would leave them in coffee shops and in libraries at the UN, all over the place. And I ended up blogging about the fact that I was doing this. And I said in the blog post, if you need a love letter for whatever reason, I will write to you. I expected I was going to get a few letter requests. I did not expect that over the next nine months, I was going to write a little over 400 letters to strangers in need. So that laid the foundation for the organization that I run today, which is more love letters. And so you can go onto the site, you can nominate a friend or a family member going through something tough. And we pick stories that we put up online every month. And anyone from around the world has a chance to write a letter and submit it to a larger bundle. Um, and that bundle will show up for somebody on a day when they probably think no one's going to notice them a day when they think they're not going to get any mail. So definitely not anything I intended to start, but it has been a pretty awesome accident and God has just done so much through it. And what do you think it is about, I mean, we're in this digital world. (laughs) What do you think it is about a letter in the mail? Um, that means something, Maybe some of that's obvious to us, but but you're really more of an expert at this than most people listening. This letter writing thing. What have you discovered in in this old art? Yeah, it's funny to be an expert in this space because like when I talk very candidly about like I don't even really like letters that much or stationery <laughs> or stamps. Um 
that's just like God's sense of humor. But I am somebody who is very passionate about the digital age and social media and how we can Mm. use social media to transform the world and do Mm. good. And so for me, letter writing, the place that it holds in my story is that growing up, my mom always wrote letters to me and she left them in different places around the house for me to find. And then when I graduated or when I moved to college, my mom would send me letters in the mail to my college PO box. And that was the first time I realized like none of my friends got letters. It was just me. And I thought it was just pretty normal that we all got letters. Um, And so it's interesting today, the average American gets like 10 pieces of mail a year. That's not a lot Mm -hmm. at all. And like, you mean beyond like like bills or something beyond that including bills. Okay. Beyond bills. Yeah. I think it's beyond bills, but I think it's probably like including like Christmas cards and, you know, that makes up like four or five of them. Um, And so to me, it's never been specifically about the letter writing so much as it's what letter writing symbolizes in our society today. And today that is its presence, its connection, its showing up. It's not just sending the text, but like being able to carve out time and space to write somebody a letter, like that means they paid attention to you. That means that they like had a single focus within a day that is often full of multitasking and doing seven things at once. And so that's why I think letters are so powerful. Why they mean so much to people is because we're really busy and distracted and we're on our phones a lot. And so this is something apart from that norm. Yeah. Yeah, and and even just like holding it, that you get to touch it, um, the tangibility of it, yeah, yeah. Or you could, I don't know, put it on the fridge, or I don't know what people do, put it in a, use it as a bookmark or something. Um, I would imagine there's something Most there too. Most people save them. I mean, people put them into boxes. I I have conversations with people all the time that are like, if if there was a fire, there's a box of letters that I would grab. You know, like people. Wow hold these letters close. And I think in my daily life, because I'm, I'm exposed to them so often, you know, I think I can easily forget that for a lot of people, like letters are not the norm. They do not get a lot of letters in the mail. Mm. I find that I get a lot of letters in the mail, but that's just part of it. Yeah. Now, um, I'm thinking of those original letters that you wrote, the first 400, you know, maybe you thought, I don't know, the blog that you wrote at the time, was it widely read? Uh, Or were you expecting like your friend in another state would ask for a letter, but then these 400, how did these 400 strangers even show up in the very beginning? So were they nominated by people you knew? How did that, how did that go? I, it wasn't, I would say it was like, a really pretty, yeah, pretty small blog. Um, and what had happened was actually a crazy series of events that while in New York City, I remember being like, this might be the only time that I'm here. Who knows how long I'm going to live mm-hmm. in New York City. And I was reaching out to people that I admired. And I was asking, you know, like, can I get on the phone with you for five minutes. Can I hear about your story, how you got from point A to point B? And somebody that I reached out to is an author that I really, really admire. And she came back to me and she said, well, you're, you're in New York and I'm in New York. So like, let's meet up. And in the midst of this, she went online. She looked at my blog. That was the most recent post. And she decided to repost it on a really popular website that she ran at the time. And so that is what led wow. to the virality of that was that all of a sudden my inbox was full with a lot of young women and people from all walks of life dealing with all different kinds of things, all asking me to write them that letter. And so specifically people asked for letters for themselves, but every once in a while you would get the person that would ask for a letter for somebody else. And those were the ones that I always gravitated towards. Those were the ones I liked writing the most because it felt like somebody had taken the time to think outside of themselves and think about somebody else in their lives. And that's really powerful. Yeah. Well, I love that, that not only could you nominate yourself, uh, that you could think of somebody else to nominate. Now the whole, um, you know, the whole focus, this book that you've written fighting forward, um, it's, uh, it's, it's really about taking some of these 
big, bold steps, not letting stuff hinder you. But in some ways, what you talk about is like that open door of opera, like really that it was like the the timing, what the right person, the right place, the right time who kind of reposted this gave you an opportunity. Um, yeah. What would you say to others who are, who are like, like they have something that's small and they would dream of, you know, somebody else, uh, you know, reposting it in a way that might be influential. What might, what would you say to that kind of a person who's doing the small thing today? I would say to keep doing it. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that we can grow weary with the small steps on repeat. But to me, I look at like my career, where I'm at, all the books that I've written, everything is all compiled of a series of small steps on repeat. That's all it is at the end of the day. And I think that we so often just give up because we're not seeing the results that we necessarily mm-hmm. want, right? Like we're not seeing the overnight success. And and there's that quote out there that it's like every overnight success is like 20 years in the making. And so behind the scenes, that person is showing up every day to take on those small monotonous tasks that maybe no one is going to see. So it's like, yeah, I had a very small blog at that time, but I had started in December of that year and that letter request um, came up in October of the following year. So there were so many opportunities in that where I could have just said, you know what, it's a small blog. I'm just going to give up on it. Or like, it's not making the traction that I think it should make. So I'm just going to be done with it. And really that was just the beginning to what was supposed to start. But I think the best stuff starts out small and intentionally and you learn to take care of it there so that then when you're given more and more, you still know how to follow through and finish well and start well and all of these things in between. Yeah. I mean, it's this, this idea I think you write about is, is starting, (laughs) just get started. I think Mm -hmm. there's, um, you know, sometimes things will never be more than small things. And for all of us, whether there's a piece of our, you know, a piece of our life that's successful or, or a lot of our life is, um, lived in small things that we do. Um, but it seems like the starting at all seems to be a hindrance to people. What do you think is getting in the way? Like, why are people just like, they have these ideas or these dreams, but they're just, they just can't get them out onto the internet or out into their community? What, what hmm. do you think is stopping people? I honestly think it's just people are, I think they're afraid of what other people are going to think. They're afraid mm-hmm. of failing and like failing in front of people. And that like, wouldn't it just be easier to not do anything at all? Like, yes, you're breaking your own heart, but like, at least if I am failing myself, no one has to know about that. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it's a dark way to look at it. But like, I think about the amount of people that I come across that are like, Oh, I want to be a really great writer, but like they have drafts and drafts and drafts and never press publish, you know, like mm. or the people that like, they want to start, but they're so afraid of what it would look like to fall on their face. And the thing is you may fall on your face. Like that's just part of it. But like, do you want to grow and learn and develop and feel like your soul in essence has been set on fire for something you believe in? Because like, that's the best feeling in the world. And like, Mm -hmm. when I started more love letters, I had no idea that it was going to go global or that it would go global so quickly. I just knew I loved this thing. I was passionate about it. And so I was just going to try to steward that well. And I think too often our generation, like they want whatever they're going to steward to be seen front and center. And I think that God really honors the secret work that we do when we invest in secret hours, when Mm. we, when it's just between him and us. And like that, like when I approach social media or any tasks that I do, that's the posture that I take on. It's like, okay, God, this is between you and I. So what do you need me to see? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to show up for this thing? And that just helps me keep my gaze on him and not on followers or what the rest of the world thinks or what's sitting in the comment section. Yeah. It's this, it's this comment section, whether, uh, whether real like real people, digital people, mm-hmm. or like the voices in our head. There's this com- there's yep. this like ongoing comment section that before we even do the thing, 
uh, we've disqualified ourselves. You know, when I think of, of this podcast right, yep. that, that you're on here, um, this is season five. Um, so we've been going for a while, but there were, before we started season one, there were so many false starts and there, hmm. you know, like I would, I literally recorded episodes that will never see the light of day, <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, because I didn't have the courage or maybe even just like the organizational skills. Cause it's not just recording an interview. There's all other, there's many other parts to, to getting this out totally. in the world. And, and I just, I just didn't do it or I couldn't do it. Or I, it's so, it is very vulnerable, isn't it? To put yourself out there or to put a, take a risk like that. And who do you think you are to start this organization, you know, to write that book well, that you've just written? Want it, people want it to be perfect, right? Like they're like, hmm. I want there to be no hiccups and I want my editing to be perfect. And I want everything to, and that's just not reality. Like you want to wait yeah. on perfection. You're going to be waiting for a very long time because I think that like, especially with our brains, like you can always find something that you would edit or you would change. And so I think you just have to show up and start imperfectly knowing that you're going to learn a lot along the way. You have this contract in the book that talks about promise mm -hmm. me you'll fail. That's the contract. Tell us about this contract. Well, I think it's kind of like what we were just like, what we've been talking about this whole time, you know, it's like, why do people not start It's because they're afraid to fail. And I think what I wanted to do, especially at the time that I wrote this contract for an intern of mine, I wanted her to know that she had permission to fail, that she should expect failure, that failure just, if we would reframe it, we would have so much to learn from it. Mm. Um, and so I'm always trying to like debrief with myself and, you know, when I finish something, don't just rush to the next thing, but look at it and say, okay, what worked well, what didn't work well, what could we do better next time? And I think like, so often we're just ready to get to the next thing or so often, like we said, like we don't start at all because we don't want to fail. And so I included it in the book in the hopes that like somebody would be able to like rip it out, keep it on their wall as a reminder of like, oh no, like it's actually, it's not a bad thing to fail. You actually learn the most through those failures. Right. Well, and I would imagine failing is at least an indication that you're out there, that your skin's in the game kind of a thing, as you're, opposed yep, to like, totally. well, you didn't fail, but you also did nothing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Like you failed yourself, like we said. Yeah. How do you, I mean, I, another theme for you in your work, in your life, um, is around these sort of themes around mental health and men mental wellness. Um, but, yeah. but there's critics, right? How, how do you, you know, the, you know, with these voices, whether in your head or very real in our lives, we have mm. criticism, even self-criticism. And some of it probably is warranted. Not all criticism is bad, uh, but, yeah. but how do you, how do you balance that? Because, uh, it can really get to us. You know, the, these voices, these people, these opinions can really weigh on us. These hours spent, uh, in digital spaces, hmm. especially are, we, we see studies continue to show that, and we kind of know in ourselves they are not really good for our health. So, um, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing about that? Do you have advice for us in, in how to battle that? Well, so the first thing that I, you know, apply in my own life is boundaries when it comes to social media. We don't always like the boundaries talk, you know, but like at the same time, like if I'm on my phone 24 seven, I'm not able to really pour into anyone else meaningfully and I'm not able to get recharged. And so boundaries are really important in that essence, especially because like that creates a separation so that I'm not always looking to the screen for validation for people mm. to love me because that's, that's great. If people love you, that's awesome. But like, I think at the same time, there are always going to be critics. There are going to be people that want to see you fail or people that are just going to say really nasty, mean things. And like, I remember like some of the first critics and, it makes you want to crawl inside your own skin. You don't want to show up mm. anymore, but you have to keep going anyway. And you have to realize that a lot of times, say for instance, there's like a troll in your comments, right? And a lot of times 
it actually has nothing to do with you. It has to do with something inside of them that they wish they could change or they wish was different, whether that's like jealousy or envy, or they just do this to a lot of people because they are not content with their lives. And that's really hard and something you want to be empathetic towards. Because I think to myself, what would have to happen in my life for me to decide I'm going to terrorize people all over the internet? And I think the best thing that I've been able to do is just kill people with kindness. I know that that's like age old advice, but like, I always show up to be as kind as possible to the people that want to try to give me backlash because I want them to know like, Hey, I know you probably want me to like block you from this. And, and obviously I think people should block people if they're going to repeatedly harass them. But at the same time, like to me, it's like more important to give them this message of like, like you're human. I see you. I'm not going to stoop to that level. Like I'm going to meet you right where you're at. Like, I remember a few years ago, I got this email from a girl and it was like this really long email about all the reasons why she hated me. Um, And it was just like, did you know her? This is some random person. No. Yeah. Some person I I didn't know her at all. And it was just this long email about, I hate you because of this. And I hate you because of this. And some things were stupid and funny. I hate you because you write about coffee. Like you're the one that invented it. Like <laughs> she just clearly was, it was, it was a lot. And I read this thing and I sent back, I decided to send a response back to her. Cause I just hmm. was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, like you're a fantastic writer. Like you're huh. really great at writing because it was a really well-written email. And oh, I just told wow. her, I was like, I wish that you would take this and use it for good. Use it for something meaningful. Like, I'm sorry you hate me, but like, I just have to come back and say like, bravo, that was a really good email. Like, and I wasn't even being, <laughs> I was not kudos. being sarcastic at all. Like kudos, like you, you have a talent right there. You need to stoke it. And she came back to me and was like, okay, I actually don't hate you at all. Like I just, I wanted to prove that you would not respond to this email, that you would never see this email. And she was like, and I think in some respects, she definitely had some things to like work out in her own heart about me, but we kept conversing back and forth and I've kept in touch with her throughout Hmm. the years. And it all started because I just said like, Hey, I know that this is a rough email for me to receive, but I want to validate you in this sense. And I'm not saying to do that with every person out there, but like for you to realize that a lot of times it it usually has to do with them, not you like that should be able to take some of the weight off of you. It doesn't mean it, it stings less to hear it, but like at the end of the day, I have to go back to God to hear what he has to say about me. And I have to take all the noise and either learn to turn it down or learn to bring it to God and say, okay, like, this is what I'm believing about myself. Is this true? Is this real? Like, what truth do you want me to hold on to? I'm fine to trade this in. Hmm. Oh, I love that. Trade this in. I want to, I'll trade this for what, like, for what God says. Is that what you mean? Do like an exchange. Here's this. Like an exchange. Here's the, here's the rant about how I invented coffee. I'd like to trade that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what do you say? Like, well, and I think because like people always call it, like they refer to it as like quiet time with God. And I, I call it my junk hour with him because like, (laughs) that's really what we do. Like we just kind of sift through the junk. And I think that like, my growing up, my dad was a garbage man. And so like, he was always going to junkyards all the time and like finding random things and like seeing the value in them. And like, I mean, he could go into a junkyard and like find something that like somebody threw out, but it's like, that thing's worth $2,000, you know? And so that's the picture I always get in my head of like, that's what we do. We sift and we sort through the junk. And then God shows me like what's actually valuable and what I need to hold on to and what I need to let go of. Right. Okay. I think that's a great transition because what it leads me to think about is you as an, mm-hmm. a, uh, in writing, as an, I'm thinking about what is the difference between editing and critique or, um, hmm. um, you know, where you're talking about going to the dump and finding some treasure or finding some gold there, but that's, you know, there is some gold, but what's the difference between editing your work and critiquing your work or having someone else as a professional editor versus a criti- critic? 
So you mean like kind of like an unhealthy critic? Yeah, um, yeah, maybe. Um, because I mean, even a critic though, some some probably something of what they say is is maybe true. I mean, I yes. I uh, I love that idea of like we welcome we want to welcome criticism because actually some of it might be something we need to to receive. We don't just reject all of it that there might be some truth to it. Um but but in in our in our work as creatives and especially with your work as a writer and helping other writers we have to have some critique or yeah. some editing to our work, self-editing and, and editing of others. But what would you say is the difference between those? Well, so I mean, and I could be wrong on on what the difference actually is, but when I think about like the editing process, like the editing process to me always comes before the final product. The critique usually happens afterwards, right? Like after it's already been put out there. And so when it comes to editing, like, for a book, for instance, like my editor will go through this book three, four, five times. And what I love about that process, I used to hate the process. Now mm-hmm. I love the process because her end goal is to make me a better writer. And so she, having produced many, many books, is able to say, these are the best practices for the mm-hmm. kind of book that you want to produce. And so her years of experience get to meet mine and to edit something means that there's still time to change things. Like I think a lot of times with critiques, there's already been a finished product. And so the result is I have to take this and I've just got to find the truth in it. Like you said, and maybe carry this into the next thing that I create. Um, And it's this idea that there will be more, to create and those critics can come in to help make us better. You know, I don't know why I keep thinking about like dancing with the stars, but I watched it this past (laughs) season. And if, if we're getting literal, you know, I think the editing process of that was probably like the many hours spent in the dance room. But then when you get to the Mm. judges, they are the critiques. And if you get to move forward into the next round, you need to take their critiques take them to heart and take them back into the editing process. Oh, I love that metaphor. The editing is the is what's happening in all your rehearsing, but then the critique happens yep. at the performance level um, where it's out in public and you're inviting critique actually um, because you chose yep. to bring mm-hmm. something into public, you, but you did some yep, work you put it out secret there. behind the scenes. Yeah, that's a really great well, metaphor. If, if you're like publishing a blog post, like, what people will critique that they're not going to edit it for you. The editing needed to happen behind the scenes if you right. actually did the editing. And I would right. also tell people that if you edit more, you'll have less critics probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Uh, now in the, in the world of writing, I mean, there's, there's mm-hmm. a, the process for a book to be published is it takes a few years, you know, to, to work that process out, but a blog post or digital writing, it can happen, um, you know, with 30 minutes, you know, you write something and it's out in the world, five minutes, you write something and it's out in the world. Um, what kind of advice would you give to people then who are in those shorter turnaround times, um, to -hmm. become better at the craft, if they're not through like a two-year editing process with a professional, um, how do you how do you do that better, or how do you not say crazy stuff on the internet? <laughs> Have some friends vet that stuff. Um, huh. I I mean I always say like especially with me like in my writing process, if I ever feel like something is really kind of like heavy or vulnerable or makes me really nervous to put it out there. I will always vet with somebody else just to make sure like, Hey, like, do we think this is good? Do we think I'll regret this if I put this out there? You know? Um, but I look at everything online that isn't like a long form type thing. Like I would say like a book is obviously a longer project, or if you're going to write like a Bible study, that's a longer project that like is going to take rounds of editing. When it comes to the stuff that we're putting on the internet, I do think we want to show up with our best foot forward, but I also like to view that stuff as practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I can view it as practice, then I should be practicing as much as I possibly can. That everything that I put out there, every time I go live, every post that I put out there, it, it doesn't need to be the most perfect thing in the world or else I will not put it out in general, right? I think that people want that nitty gritty unscripted version of you. And like, when I look at it through the lens of writing, every time I publish a blog post, like 
that's practice. That's me honing my voice. That's me figuring out what my readers want to read and what resonates with them. And so if I can look at it through that lens, I'm able to create so much more freely and frequently by saying, okay, no, I'm going to show up to practice as much as I possibly can. Some stuff is going to stick, some stuff it's not going to. And you can't predict that because I will always say that the the things that take me Mm -hmm. 10 minutes to write are the things that people are like, this is amazing. Oh my gosh. The things that you work on for like a day and a half, it's like crickets. Like, oh God, no one, no one liked that at all, you know? And so you just never know. So why not just put it all out there? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's that tricky balance too. I imagine if you're trying to, to be a writer, that's more professional at some level, you mm-hmm. want to write what you want to write and hope it finds an audience. But another level, like, well, if you want to sell your writing in some form, uh, yeah. there's that trick between like, you don't, you're not trying to cater, you're not trying to like bend to an audience. You want to build an audience. But like, I guess, I guess I'm trying to yeah. say that how do you, how do you go between those two cliffs of you want to be authentic to yourself and find your voice, but also you have to find an audience uh, and not make them angry all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that true, right? And well, and some people like that's their job is to make people angry, and that's their brand. So yeah, more power true. to them. But um, for me, like I can only speak to my own experience. That like the way that I craft words is that I'm always hoping to encourage and edify people, and so it's very helpful for me to know what my audience does want to hear and how I can write words in order to encourage them in those directions. At the same time, I always want to be listening above that noise to like, where does God need me to land? What does he want me to produce? And I think that that's where it's like, we'd be, we keep coming back to it, but this idea of like, don't just sit down to create in order to publish but like sit down because you love the craft and that you want to show up to the craft again and again and again, because when you get into that posture, you're going to be creating all sorts of things. You're going to create things that need to be published tomorrow. You're going to create things that like might not be published for five years or Mm -hmm. ever at all. But if you can fall in love with the craft way more than being seen, like that's the sweet spot right there. Because in this you know, in this world that we live in today, yeah, you like do have to, in essence, build a platform and that feels icky for a lot of people. Um, but the way that I look at it, it's just kind of like, these are like, these readers, um, for some reason, like they've chosen to follow me. And so like, I want to serve as much as I possibly can in this space that I've been given. And so I try to keep, I try to treat my blog and my website kind of like a house, you know, Mm -hmm. and I try to practice hospitality and I try to fill it up with everything they could possibly need and steer them back to what really matters and the word of God. And I just, I look at it more like building a house rather than building a platform because I can get behind building a house. Like I love to keep a home. I love welcoming people into my home. And so that feels way more true to me than like this idea of platform building. Well, and in regards to platform, I think a lot of people are waiting for someone else to give them permission. Um, you know, they want to be mm, a speaker, yeah. so they're they're trying to get someone to have them come speak. They want to be a writer, so they're trying to uh, find someone who might pay them to write. Um, but what you're talking about is yeah. is actually being more proactive. What would you say to someone who's yeah, just just waiting for someone else to give them permission as opposed to building something for themselves in this digital age. What would you what would you what would you say to them? I mean, what have you done there? You have to give yourself permission. You know, mm-hmm. you have to stop waiting for someone else to come along and validate you and just start creating the thing so that you get the practice in. You want somebody to hire you, but how can they hire you if you don't ever write, you know, or if you don't ever create crappy videos and edit them. Or if you don't ever, you know, like everything comes down to practice. And what is so interesting to me in like the, not so much all of the creative field, but in writing in general, it's interesting to me that this is one of the few crafts and things out there in the world that we can say, I want to be a writer. And yet people never sit down to write. That floors me. It amazes me. You can't say, I want to be an Olympian swimmer and 
never get into the pool. You need to get into the pool every single day. And so why Mm. should this be any different? Um, And I think it's because in, in the Christian world, we've almost glamorized the people that are on a stage and are writing the books and are giving the talks. And in actuality, those people have had to do years and years of behind the scenes practice. And gosh, I just hope in my own life, I can't speak for everybody else, but I will tell you, I feel the closest to God when I am in that practice. Mm. Like I'm in a season right now where I'm having to do a lot of like interviews and I wouldn't like, I love them. They're not the thing that fill me up at the end of the day, but like I've not been in a space where I can write as much as I'm used to. Mm. And in the pockets of the day that I've been able to write, I feel all that refreshment. I feel like, oh gosh, this is what I love more than anything. And that's what I want for people. I want you to love the craft above the applause. I love this. I mean, but um, it's proven in your work that that is how you have gotten to where you want to go. But, you know, when I'm reading (laughs) and realizing like the places you have been platformed. We're talking about, uh, in this list includes yeah. the White House's women working. You're named as one of the White House's women working to do good. You're a spokesperson. Mm-hmm. This is so funny to me. I mean, it's amazing. This You are a spokesperson for the U.S. Postal Service. I assume that's because yeah. of letter writing. Wall Street Journal, yes. Oprah, Oprah, like one of my personal yeah. heroes. I mean, heroes in terms of the professional craft. Uh, Glamour, USA Today, Chicago Tribune. How how do you get all your stuff there? How did do you have a story of any? Maybe you want to highlight one of those. I mean, there's too many to probably go through them all. But how did your work, or how did they find you? <laughs> I oh god, I just feel like it's an act of God. That's like literally mm. all I can say. It's like, I mean, because I created this little blog. And I started to be faithful to that little blog and, you know, like you get a little sponsorship over here, a little opportunity over there. And then that led to that blog and that consistency led to more love letters, which is Mm -hmm. where a lot of that press started coming from. And I think at the end of the day, like they just, they came, I don't even know like how people really came across this so much as this is a great question because I've never actually thought about this. Um, I'm thinking, you know, Oprah. Uh, how did okay, Oprah's okay, I people do know, find I you? I do know. Okay, so <laughs> I started more love letters. Now, mind you, I have a background in PR. Okay. I don't use it often, but I did PR at this nonprofit. Um, at, that's where I was working when I started more love letters. And so I just remember we started our first campaign for more love letters. And there was one blog that I wanted to pitch. And it was this blog called The Daily Candy. Okay. It's not around anymore, but I yeah, never loved this blog. And so I crafted up this little pitch email to them about why they wanted to know about more love letters. And I sent it to them and they got back to me and oh. they did a little interview. And then that's where the editors at Oprah found me. And okay. so to that, to make that applicable to anybody out there being like, how the heck do I get on Oprah? Yeah. I think you start by saying yes to everything, you know, in the sense of like, the smallest outlets, that is a place on the internet where someone can find you and then say, we're going to interview from that. You know, mm-hmm. like I think so often we're like, no, we want the big one, but a lot of times they're doing their own research and that's how they come across you. And so realizing that like any chance to share your story is a chance for someone else to find your story and maybe share that in a different light, but just always be open to saying yes to the people that want to get to know you. And like, it all comes full circle because we were talking about that author that I loved that ended up reposting the love letter request. And I think about that. And I think because she took a chance on me because she was willing to meet me in a coffee shop in New York city. I told myself that at every juncture in my career, if people are willing to ask me, if it is in my capacity, I will say yes to it. Mm. And that is because I want people to know that if you make a big, bold ask, sometimes like 
you're going to get a yes from that. Like, and that's because she did that for me that I want to do that for other people. And so when it comes full circle, it's this idea of like, whoever is reaching out to you to interview you for a podcast or write a book review on you or create a blog post, say yes to that. Give that person a chance to tell your story and just watch how that ripple affects. I love that. It's this idea of pay it forward that people gave yeah. you a chance. Mm-hmm. People, you're doing the work. So when the opportunity comes, you're ready. Uh, and when someone sees it, yes, um, and opens a door for you, you've already got your shoes on, so you can walk through it. Um, but then you're yep. making sure that you keep the door open for someone coming in after you. Um, I Absolutely. love that. I love that, that will be the thing. Like that's the lighter fluid, you know, of like. When she said yes to me, I started reaching out to everyone. I was like, I'm going to reach out to as many people as I can to hear their stories. And I don't even think, I think there were a few people I never heard back from, but for the most part, it was people that said yes. And that Mm -hmm. led to different opportunities. And so it's like, do not be afraid to put yourself out there and to do things that feel big and scary because the worst that can happen is somebody says no, that's it. It's rejection and that's not going to kill you. Right. Well, I think it's a it's a question. I have a, a friend and a mentor in Danielle Strickland, who's an author and a speaker, and she always says to me with this twinkle in her eye, Joanna, like, what's the worst that could happen? And because so much can be bound up in our fear. And when you realize what the, the worst that could mm-hmm. happen is actually not very bad. Oh, they said no, and you feel a bit embarrassed for a minute or something. Then you move on. Right. Um, and that so we don't do the ask. I know the same for me. There's yeah. I want to help as many as I can. I can't help every single person. But if people reach out, yeah, I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try because people Exactly. Did it as for long me. as I, yeah. 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 I love that. And so I mean, true. I certainly you have. You do for one what you wish you could do for all. Yes. I love that. That sounds like a guy from Atlanta from Georgia where where you're from. That sounds like Andy that sounds like an Andy Stanley thing to say. Uh, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Um, and there oh, I love that. I don't know if you go to his church or anything but but it's a great concept. I go to passion but Okay, okay. But um I mean all to say um I think what you're doing and the work um that you're doing is inspiring. And this conversation is going to remind people listening to get up, do the work, knock on the doors, give it a try, keep practicing their craft. If they're a writer, a speaker, whatever their craft is as a creative person. Um, And so that when these opportunities come, um, we're ready for them. But also when we see someone, we'd like to ask for an opportunity. Um, we have something to show of ourselves (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that we're not, you know, we've done some of the work. Yeah. Um, I've been working. I've been prepping. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, if people want to find your book, they, I mean, you do, you do work with writers and you have this amazing new book that's, that's just coming out. Um, um, people are, are thinking right now about I, this expression. Maybe we should talk about it for a second, this new year, new you idea and why you think it's a bunch of crap. Yeah. Um, you know, as people are coming here into this new year, um, and they want to, to get more of you, I'd love to, for you to tell us where we can get more of your content. But before we do that, could you just really quick, give us a synopsis on what uh, the new year, what you would do in exchange of uh, new year, new you. You know, this year was the first year that I actually tried this out and it was, it proved to be effective, but, um, instead of setting a bunch of resolutions, which I think we all do, like most of us, or else we're like gung ho, like no resolutions at all. Um, I decided what are some rhythms that I want to introduce into my daily life, my weekly life and my monthly life. And that to me has been much more effective than making a list of resolutions that I think by the stroke of midnight will change me, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I would tell anybody like, Hey, like if you want to set resolutions, that's great. Do it. But check in your check into yourself two weeks later and Mm -hmm. a month later and two months later, just because you fail in the month of January doesn't mean you should give up for the other 11 months. Mm -hmm. Like keep coming back to the things you said you wanted to do and keep tweaking that and editing that so that you can actually go through a transformation process. It's not just, I, I made a list in January and I failed by January 10th and now it's over, you know? Yeah. Um, the magic is in that consistency and that behind the scenes work. So that's what I would say to anybody in that um, new year, new you mindset. Um, 
And if you want to read any of my stuff, it's over at hannahbrenter.com. There is a page there for the book Fighting Forward. And Fighting Forward is at bookstores, Amazon, Shop Local, Support Indie, um, anywhere that books are sold. Awesome. And um, and just as a, a quick um, thing for your writing coaching, is there is there something coming? I don't know if you do it in cohorts, but is there something coming up if people want to jump into it uh, before they miss it? Because that's part of their resolutions into 2021. Um, is there something that you want to highlight yeah. there? So we're actually going to be, I teach this course once a year. It's called the year of the book for people that want to um, make this the year of the book. And actually this year it's going to be coming out in March. So there's plenty of space to get on board. Um, I decided to wait a few months just because of everything that has happened with our pandemic and people might need a few months to ease into the new year. So you can join that course up until March. Yeah. Awesome. And I mean, there's so much going on with you. I want people to find your Instagram. People are going to find your website. It'll all be linked in the show notes. And Hannah, just thank you so much awesome. for, for joining us. Um, inspiring, thank you for having me. inspiring life, life that's impacting others. And you get to use your gifts of writing to, to really, to tell people that they're seen, that they matter. Um, and that uh, their work matters as well. So thanks so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much to Hannah for that conversation. Next up on the podcast, we have Dr. Carolyn Leaf. We're talking about brain science, how to reduce anxiety and stress. And we're talking about how uh, our brains have gone through some significant acrobatics in the last year of a global pandemic. And Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who studies brain science, is going to talk to us all about how that's affected us, our digital world and how that's affected our anxiety and what we can do about it based on brain elasticity and science. Thanks so much to Wycliffe College and to Compassion Canada for making this podcast possible. If you are thinking about growing as a disciple, if you are looking to learn and expand yourself academically, check out wycliffecollege.ca slash wordmadedigital. They got free swag to send you if you let them know you were there, but also more than that, it's an amazing school, robust scholars, and uh, on a really stunning campus in the middle of an amazing, vibrant city. So I want you to check it out. Also, Compassion Canada or just Compassion wherever you are. If you're not in Canada, we'll link you somewhere else. But I want you to check out compassion.ca slash good because they're showing you some creative and inspiring ways to spread a little good in your own neighborhood. Like Harvey, who I talked about at the beginning, who raised money from his mullet to help with thousands of dollars to impact real lives of real children around the world who are being impacted by the pandemic in ways that are more than just not being able to get a haircut. All right. Can't wait to see you next week as we talk to Dr. Carolyn Lee and see you in the Digital Church Facebook group. If you haven't joined us yet, come join us over there. We'd love for you to connect into the conversation and grow together, share ideas, ask questions, and uh, iron sharpen iron around this whole conversation around digital church. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.